and welcome to this edition of TBU's Bat Books for Beginners, episode 159. My name is Jerry. And I'm Chris. And we are your hosts. On Bat Books for Beginners, we will examine story arcs with Batman and related characters. We'll give you the historical background of the book, break down the plot and the art, and give you our opinions so you can decide for yourself if they're worth a read. Today's Bat Book is a collection of stories commonly referred to as War Games Act One. This covers a number of issues. Uh, Batman, the 12 Cent Adventure, the Detective Comics 797, Batman Legends of the Dark Knight 182, Nightwing 96, Batman Gotham Knight 56, Robin 129, Batgirl 55, Catwoman 34, and, of course, Batman 631. (laughs) Chris, could you tell us a little bit about these books? Sure. Thank you very much, Jerry. Thank you for downloading, listeners. So, the books that Jerry mentioned were collected in a 208-page softcover trade paperback called War Games, Volume 1, subtitled Act 1, Outbreak, that was cover dated February 2005 and had a cover price of $14.95 and would have more than one initial printing. And yes, that's right. This is just volume one, and this does not collect the entire War Games story arc, so keep that in mind. At the time of this recording, some printings of volume one could be found online for around the same price, give or take a few dollars going either way. Potential buyers who would like to obtain a hard copy version should also be aware that in late 2015, DC Comics reprinted the entire War Games story arc. Mm -hmm. However, this time they divided it into two volumes and not three. So, Volume 1 of that version also has a soft cover. It has 464 pages and had a cover price of $34.95. Now, the big online vendors, uh, My Comic Shop, Amazon, have knocked $7 off the list price on this. As far as I know, this volume uh, has not had any additional printings, just the one printing. Mm. Let's see. Now, when this initially came out in comic book form, the opening chapter was a single comic book called Batman the 12 Cent Adventure that cost the reader a mere 12 cents to get on board, a price so low that it had to be included in the title. Now, think of it. When I bought a Silver Age back issue and saw that it had a 12 cent cover price, I never could have imagined that there would be a time where I could buy a new comic book for 12 cents. And I'll talk more about that later on the show with my thoughts. Let's see. Now, as far as the creative teams involved, we just have this massive smorgasbord or huge stew, depending on your taste of people. Uh, So I confess I'm going to take the easier route and not go issue by issue, but just list the writers involved and then the artists. For the writers, we had Ed Brubaker, Anderson Gabrich, Devin Grayson, Dylan Horrocks, A.J. Lieberman, Greg Rucka, and Bill Willingham. For brevity's sake, I'm trying to think of those we haven't given more background on a previous podcast episode. Uh, I think this is the first time we finally got into around to mentioning Ed Brubaker. I'm familiar with his work on Catwoman, Batman, Captain America, of course, Daredevil, Daredevil, of course, uh, the Uncanny X-Men, and The Authority. What I didn't know in doing some research is that he's won six Eisner Awards, and he's on the writing staff of HBO's Westworld. Let's see. I think this is the first time on our podcast that uh, Dylan Horrocks' name has been mentioned. He was the writer on Batgirl, and he's from New Zealand. I think Devin Grayson's name was mentioned previously, but I don't mind mentioning it again. She's an excellent Batman writer who I think discovered Batman through the 90s animated series and did work on Batman Gotham Knights and Nightwing. And I always thought she had a great handle on the character. Mm-hmm. For our pencilers, we have Raymond Box, Giuseppe Kimicoli, Thomas Derenick, Paul Gulacy, Kinsoon, Paul Lee, 
Mike Lilly, Sean Phillips, John Proctor, Brad Walker, and Pete Woods. <laughs> now, with all due respect deserved to the artists, I dare say the most notable names here are Kemakoli, whose art I thought was really, really good here, but now I think he's really developed and come to his own with his work on Amazing Spider-Man. And someone I'd consider a legend, and that would be Paul Galassi, who did work on the Catwoman issue in this book, and whose name I don't think I've had the pleasure to mention at this point. I probably first encountered Galassi's distinctive style as a kid in the 70s with his work on Marvel's Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu. Hmm. He was one of the pioneers in the graphic novel Medium with the titled work Saber, and I don't know if anyone out there remembers art when art portfolios were a thing, but I remember around the late 70s and early 80s, you could order and get these nice art portfolios. And how it worked was an artist would put one out and you'd get like four to six prints called plates in this huge big envelope with the artwork from the artist inside. And I remember getting one with Marshall Rogers' work on Batman and I remember getting one with Paul Galassi doing one for Marvel's Black Widow. Wow. It's just gorgeous stuff and I think you can see some of it online if you just type his, his name in the search engine with Black Widow. Uh, Galassi also did a story arc in the 80s Marvel feature title uh, and the story run had uh, Shanna the She-Devil. Mm-hmm. Now if you sense a theme you're right. I think Glacey does masterful artwork on strong female comic book characters. Yeah. Uh, for Batman, Glacey also did a story arc called Prey which ran in Batman Legends of the Dark Knight numbers 11 through 15 and another called Terror that ran in numbers 137 through 141. Both stories featured Catwoman and Hugo Strange and both are worth checking out in my opinion. Uh, with his 70s work aside, I think it's fair to say Galassi's mainstream work has been pretty sporadic. And I don't think I mean that as a knock, but I certainly would consider him a legendary talent. Mm-hmm. One thing to note as we go through this, probably the main controversy about Madman Wargame story arc, if you want to call it that, center around the Stephanie Brown character mm-hmm. and her being killed off. Uh, there was a long article on the Bleeding Cool website, which I think is still out there, and I do have memories of this when it happened. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm just going to cite something from Wikipedia for the short version, which does cite the swords and shortens it to this. At the 2011 Auckland Writers and Readers Festival, former writer, former Batgirl writer Dylan Horrocks said that the writers were told by editorial that the crossover would be, quote, involve some kind of gang war in Gotham, unquote, and involve Stephanie Brown's death. Her debut of Robin was, quote, purely a trick to play on the readers that would fool them into thinking that the big event – read war games was that stephanie brown would become Robin, but we knew all along it was a temporary thing and she was going to die at the end of this crossover story end quote both horrocks and night ring writer devin grayson opposed the move during planning to the extent so much that horrocks deliberately kept batgirl out of several key events of the story now this is a key point that we're going to keep in mind as we unpack it later uh this will likely come up again when jerry and i cover the conclusion of the war game story arc Mm-hmm. And let's see what else. Uh, for those of you still keeping score at home from a timeline standpoint, Jerry and I are still covering Batman material that originally appeared around the year 2004. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. On Amazon, volume one of both trade paperbacks have a rating of four out of five stars, which is a very good score. And with that, I'll turn it over back to Jerry with his summation of the plot for this particular volume. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Uh, good work on that. That was uh, terrific. A lot of great information. I haven't heard Shaun of the She-Devil in a while, so that's... Uh, oh, yeah. That's yeah, good stuff. Love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So let me get into the plot of this story. So spoiler, uh, not spoiler alert, but uh, spoiler, <laughs> a.k.a. Stephanie Brown, was recently relieved of her duties as Robin by Batman. And she's monitoring an alleyway meeting between Gotham City's top crime bosses. She's upset about her firing and wants to show Batman that he made a mistake by getting rid of her. She wants to take down Junior Galante, the head of Gotham's five mafia families. 
She watches the meeting from a nearby rooftop. Catwoman shows up and asks Spoiler what she's doing on her turf. She says that she stumbled upon this action, this meeting, by accident and wanted to prove herself to Batman. All of the bosses have all received mysterious invitations by an unknown source to meet here. Attendees include the Galante Gang, the Latino Unified Gang, the Escabredo Cartel, the Gotham Yakuza, the Odessa Mob, and Penguin. Penguin arrives with Deadshot as his bodyguard. Scarface and the Ventriloquist arrive as well. I had no idea there were so many. I know, there's quite a bit. (laughs) So someone reaches inside their jacket and a gunfight breaks out. There's a terrible loss of life. uh, And Spoiler and Catwoman have no choice but to watch in horror. The survivors include Penguin, Deadshot, Scarface, and the Ventriloquist. Uh, So Catwoman takes off so she won't be blamed. This isn't my fault. I had nothing to do (laughs) with this. Uh, Spoiler's upset at what she's seen and she burns a note that she has on her, which is curious. Now, uh, this begins some gang war fighting in Gotham City. So things are getting a little out of control. So Batman calls a Nightwing from Bloodhaven with Tarantula in tow. The only allies that Batman has locally are Cass, who's Batgirl, Oracle, and Catwoman. Batman wants to find out who summoned all the bosses together, but no one seems to know. With several of the crime bosses dead, a power struggle is set off in the gangs. Killings provoke retribution. Strange alliances are formed and betrayed. All-out gang war breaks out in Gotham. Even Orpheus and Onyx, Batman's puppet leaders of the Hills Gang, get caught up in the fight. The GCPD are no match for the chaos and are quickly overwhelmed. Penguin and his gang hijack a ship in Gotham Harbor that is full of weapons so they can arm up for the gang war. Batman has Tarantula take over the Latino gangs. Onyx is wounded in some fighting and sent to Dr. Leslie Tompkins Clinic. Tim Drake promises his father that he won't get involved in the action. A mysterious figure tries to get Hush and Prometheus involved in the war, but Hush refuses. The allied Odessa and Scarface gangs decide that they are going to take out Henry Akista's daughter, daughter, Darla, who's a student at Tim Drake's high school. Darla Akista is being dropped off at school in a limo when the car is attacked by a military vehicle. Inside is the Odessa gang. Tim Drake, who's recently resigned as Robin, witnesses the attackers accost Darla. A gunfight breaks out among the attackers and Darla's bodyguards. Tim joins the fight, frees his friend, and tells her to get to their pals in the crowd that's formed around the battle. Tim is able to get control of the situation and has one person call 911 to get the police and ambulances. Tim's friend looked at him, shocked at his fighting and acrobatic abilities. Scarface and his team arrives to the fight and start shooting to try to get Darla. Innocent students are shot. Tim tells his friends to get Darla to safety and then fights the Scarfacians. Tim gets a hold of the Scarface doll and hits the ventriloquist with him. He holds Scarface hostage until the police arrive. The remaining Odessa gang starts shooting the cops when they get there and things start to get crazy violent. Tim escapes to try to protect the student body, but Darla is hit by gunfire. Jerry Scarfacians, well done. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that was well done. I love that. Yeah, thanks. Henry Akista hears of the attack on his daughter and orders his gang to get to the school to protect her. All of a sudden, it is open season on the women and children of the Gotham mob bosses, which is against years and years of tradition. 
you don't include the families. Now, the Bat family do what they can to protect the innocents, but they're, they are soon overwhelmed by the scope of the crisis. Then they hear that these gangs have descended on Tim's high school, and the Bat family springs into action to protect Tim, one of their own. Now, Catwoman is out protecting her turf when she runs into Mr. Freeze. They fight, and she kicks him off a building. She notices that Spoiler is on a nearby rooftop watching the action. Spoiler has also been doing what she can to stop the fighting. Catwoman talks with her, and she seems upset. They go back to one of Selina's nearby hideouts, and both reveal their identities. Stephanie admits that when she was fired as Robin, she looked at one of Batman's plans on the Batcomputer. It was to get all of the crime bosses together, to unite them, and to stop crime in Gotham. She wanted to prove that her firing was a mistake, and so she implemented the plan. The only person that didn't show up to the meeting was Matches Malone. So, yeah, bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Selena realizes that Matches Malone is one of Bruce Wayne's secret identities and that Stephanie didn't realize that a key part of the plan was missing. So the gang war is Stephanie's fault. Stephanie knows it and she's riddled with guilt over it. There is a panic at the high school. Police and mobsters are dead. The GCPD are preparing for an all-out assault, but there are reports of students being held hostage by the various gangs that have descended on the battle. Tim is inside getting people to safety. The Bat family used the sewers to gain entrance to the school. Batman trusts that Tim will have an inside status report when they are able to locate him. They get inside, and Batman's trust in his former Robin is validated. Tim gives them a complete tactical breakdown of the various crises in the school. The Bat family split up and are able to take control of the situation. Batman takes the seriously wounded and unconscious Darla Akista in his arms and carries her out to a waiting ambulance. However, some of the newsies on the scene see the, see the wounded girl in Batman's arms and mistakenly think that Batman has killed Darla Akista. End of wow. Act 1. Well, well, that would certainly prompt me to go for Act Two. I will have to say that. <laughs> Definitely. Um, <laughs> well, Jerry, I have to confess, I generally don't care for quote event stories, stories yeah. that span over numerous titles, which kind of forces the reader to perhaps buy a title that they ordinarily wouldn't get yeah. just to read the complete story. Uh, I'm very much an old school guy. I remember a time when trade paperbacks didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Can you hear me being an uh, editorializing <laughs> when I'm starting off with this? Yes, uh, I can. Let me. I'm sorry. Well, uh, I'm not off my soapbox yet, but here we go. Uh, well. As a kid, I used to envision that there would come a time when we would get uh, books called trade paperbacks that would collect issues shortly after their release. What I didn't consider as a young man was that the notion uh, that you would get multiple stories in these books books, but rather you would just get one story in the mm-hmm. book with many chapters. Mm-hmm. Uh, initially, I frowned upon these trade paperbacks in the format. While I thought it was great for the reader, I thought the publishers just had come up with a big, long story, so they had sufficient material to reprint so they could be a presence in the book market. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, over time, my opinions have softened a bit. I realized that some fans prefer the trade paperback format due to the cost and space for their collection. Yep. They can also wait to hear about the critical reviews and decide after all the individual issues have come out, whether it's worth their money and their space to pick up the trade and i think that's pretty smart yeah okay so now i'm done with my editorial (laughs) (laughs) okay so back to the uh, matter at hand i think uh most longtime fans 
for Batman have already heard about this story. And next to No Man's Land and Hush, this is a pretty popular story arc. Mm-hmm. I think my job here is, though, is to advise a Batman fan who's a new reader whether this story should be recommended or not. And I would have to say yes, by all means. Yeah. The more you dig into the character and its past, eventually you'll hear the story mentioned and referenced. Uh, you're going to get a very long Batman story. I don't think it's an overwhelming one, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could look intimidating from the outside. But I think with everyone involved and with respect to the Batman allies in particular, mm-hmm. uh, you can get this obtained for a decent price if you look hard enough and it's well worth it. How about you? Well, you know, it's funny. I'm usually not a fan of these kind of gang warfare stories. They just don't really speak to me generally. And, you know, it's a dark, gritty crime drama. And, you know, the art isn't particularly spectacular. There's nothing unusual about the art. But I don't know. This story just gripped me. I, I, I couldn't wait to keep reading and finding out what happened. I think a lot of, a lot of it is because it's actually logical. You know, the way that the crime bosses are kind of, uh, creating and breaking alliances, it's all very well thought out and it all makes sense. And a lot of times in these kinds of stories, it's just, you have to really close one eye and squint a little bit to, to say, oh, okay, I see what's going on. But this one makes sense. And the way that it builds to this, you know, where everything gets concentrated on the high school. So, you know, on the one hand, you get the sense for the wide Gotham City panic, but then the focus comes down on one particular battle. And I think that's really effective. And it shows how the different gangs are interacting and it shows of course, the Bat family coming in to save Tim and his friends. I thought it was, it was thrilling. I loved the scenes in, um, uh, in, in the high school. I thought that they were really, really well done. I'm with you, Jared. I'm glad you brought up the scene at the high school. One minor quibble I might have, or some other reader might have would be, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, I think we were left at a point in the story reading this as it was presented mm-hmm. that uh, we had an issue with uh, Darla getting shot. Yeah. However, the next chapter didn't really see what happened. The next chapter after that didn't see what happened. We moved to another issue. And I think we were sort of left hanging seeing how the other character was involved with that moment in time of the story yeah. and their reaction to it and how to plot with it. Do you think the reader was left hanging a little bit too long with Darla's fate? I I didn't feel that. I didn't feel like I was left hanging for too long about that. Um, I felt that it, it definitely heightened the the stakes. I think it really helped to underline the danger that was going on for a longer period of time. Um, I felt that they were kind of uh, trapped, you know, and she was kind of uh, trapped with very little help inside the school. And as somebody that Tim is trying to protect, I felt that that really heightened the danger. Um, so I think it, it was okay for me. I didn't, I wasn't too worried about that. I thought it stretched a little long, but I will, to flip it a little bit though, I really was impressed with the depiction of Darla Kista here versus yeah. the way it came off in the previous podcast where we looked at her initial appearance. And I think that was written by Willingham. I thought this yeah. was an Akista that uh, was caring. This is somebody you could see mm-hmm. Tom, uh, Tim would have a care about. Mm-hmm. And I thought her, how she was depicted, there was more weight and resonance here with the reader. 
I agree. I agree. And, you know, you mentioned it when you were talking about how DC kind of engineered this event. Um, and a lot of the artists or, or a lot of the writers kind of resisted a little bit. And I know we've talked in previous podcasts about, you know, how some of those stories just didn't seem to be flowing quite right. And they didn't seem to end like Robin unmasked with, uh, um, Johnny Warlock. That story just seemed to go nowhere, but you can see how some of those stories had to end weekly so that they could be, those characters could be in a situation to affect this one between Hush and Prometheus and Orpheus and Onyx, Tim as an ex Robin, Stephanie in her situation. It, all of those things that we were kind of questioning in past co- uh, podcasts. Why did, why did this end this way? This didn't, this didn't feel satisfying. Uh, now it's starting to become clear. I agree. Yeah, you've got a lot of pieces on the chessboard here, and I thought it played out really consistency consistently with uh, how how it how this narrative flowed throughout uh, one chapter to the other, one uh, book to the other. I think somewhere along the line, you did mention that the artwork was somewhat of a mixed bag for you, and I'd kind of have to yeah. agree. Uh, I, I have to say that uh, for me, I think to be fair, uh, I like the Paul Galassi Catwoman chapter, but I'll have to give you that yeah. Galassi might be an acquired taste. If you're coming at this as someone new to him, you might have to argue that uh, there might not be a sense of dimension or perspective, or he draws uh, characters' eyes too big. I'll grant you that everyone may not like him as much as I do. Uh, looking at the writing, um, I thought I sensed a little bit of consistency, and it came to when I got to the chapter written by Devin Grayson, and this isn't uh, me being critical or something I didn't like, but I think the story for me slowed down a little bit there, with the, particularly with mm-hmm. the Nightwing issue, because you had a sense of love and understanding that she has for the character. Uh, we get a right. lot of uh, Dick Grayson insights, a lot of recollections of uh, where he came from. I don't think it was overly redundant as to something that uh, we've seen before with recollection, but I think uh, it was a fresh perspective. And this particular chapter that she wrote had a lot more depth and insight than some of the other ones, which was just pretty much uh, more action driven than than uh, than insight driven, I think. Yeah, I think, you know, most of the time when you read one of these event stories that have books from different um, titles, so, you know, Nightwing, that the, the story seems to get dissipated. It kind of breaks up the story. But in this one, I don't, and I, I can't really put my finger on why this one works so much better. It seems that it just makes it feel like a, a coherent but multifaceted, multi-layered story that all comes together um, at the end, at, you know, in the, in the school. It, it doesn't seem like, uh, you know, somebody's doing something that it doesn't make any difference. Who cares? Um, and I'm just, uh, I, I actually did like the the Catwoman art uh, a little better. I thought that the uh, the work with the the, the light and shadows is really strong. Well, and uh, also the, the the exchange she had with Stephanie just just uh, felt so real, and that that was one of the uh, highlights I thought of the whole book itself was just this uh, um, unmasking and uh, the admission of fault, and just you could just mm. see the guilt and everything else. It just just was really one of the better parts of the book for me. Yeah, and that twist I didn't see it coming at all, and I in retrospect I should have, but I didn't, and. It provides such an emotional heart to this whole story that, you know, we love Stephanie, right? She's an, she was so much fun. She was a great 
fun Robin and to see her making such a mistake that has such a terrible impact to people's lives all across Gotham. And I mean, you know, she's a good person and it's going to affect her deeply. And in effect, that that issue was just uh, just blew me away. It was fantastic. Yeah, I think we covered all the main points, all the main characters. Jerry, do you, were there any little quibbles, anything you didn't like? There, there's one little thing I had and I wanted to mention. Um, Go for it. When we had one of the initial scenes play out, um, mm-hmm. I, I just wasn't quite sure, and I needed some reaffirmation as to who all the player was, who all the players were at this particular gang meeting when everything went south and everybody opened fire, and who subsequently yeah. died as a result. I think we had Lou Moxon. I think I spotted Hellhound. I Spotted Silver Monkey, and I had to look this up because I wasn't sure. And actually, uh, it was uh, NK, NKV Demon also perished in this. And by this time, we were already on the third NKV Demon, and I didn't know there was more than one. I felt bad, so like, wow, okay. All so right. yeah, I guess there was more than one, and I, apparently the third one here perished as a result of this battle. And I thought okay. that was a little unclear. Um, one thing I did want to mention too, when we are in the uh, opening chapter in the Twelve Cent Adventure, and by the way, one mm-hmm. thing I wanted to mention. That that was a savvy marketing ploy to get readers initially involved by putting your first chapter, put it, pricing it so low that they're practically giving it away so you can get a taste of, uh, of this story. Uh, I don't know if it was because I, I reread it in uh, online form or versus online, but uh, the opening uh, chapter we have Stephanie, and her thoughts are put in this um, uh, I wouldn't even say word balloons, but there are things called out, out pages from her, uh, quote, war journal. And she's writing yeah. it in cursive. And you see the cursive right there. And I thought it was a little difficult to read sometimes. And I had to kind of really go slowly and just look carefully as to see how it was printed. I, I thought it was a creative way that you could say, hey, this is Stephanie and this is her actual handwriting writing in a war journal. And I, I get that. I thought it was a great idea in theory, but for me, just trying to get some of the flow and get settled in, it was a little difficult to read some of the words. Maybe it's me and my age. I don't know, but I thought that was a little hard to read. Those are tiny, tiny things, but I just wanted to uh, bring it out. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned about the script, uh, the handwriting, because I felt the exact same way about it. Uh, It is just a little difficult to read and it slows down the flow of the story a little bit. Um, but that was, that was my top quibble as well. Okay. Um, did you have anything else? Any other points that you wanted to mention? Have we covered everything? Just, just a couple (laughs) of things that this is again, my favorite bat cast with Barb, uh, as Oracle cast with as Batgirl has Stephanie Brown included. Tim Drake is in it. He's not Robin, but he's still in it. Uh, has got, you know, Nightwing and Catwoman. This is, this is the A team, uh, on board. And the one thing that I thought was a lot of fun was that Tim, when, when the, he's having this, uh, fight at the school, uh, he's, he's, not Robin, but he's showing off his fighting skills and his acrobatic skills in front of his friends. And, you know, the whole school was looking at him like, wow, Drake, you're <laughs> look at this. And it's such wish fulfillment, you know, for a lot of folks that read these comic books and kind of, you know, picture themselves in these uh, situations, you know, being having these kind of fighting skills and having to keep them secret. But then having to come in and save his friends and have everybody say, wow, you were so awesome. I mean, I thought that was just so much fun. That's a good point, and I am glad you mentioned that. Wow, that great, great, great observation. Okay, so have we come to the point where we uh, announce our scores? 
I'm ready. Go for it. Well, I'll tell you, I think, as I said before, this this is something that uh, has everyone involved. It did play out much more nicely, and I, I've warmed up to it more than my initial read with, with uh, the format. Generally, I don't go for big event stories, but as it played out, I'm going to give this a four out of five. It is a very, very solid, good Batman read, and I don't think you'll be Fantastic. disappointed. One thing you, you might it, this might look intimidating from the outside looking in, as I stated before. Mm-hmm. This is this mm-hmm. could be sensed as uh, an intimidating or imposing read based on the size and getting three volumes of this. But I think for uh, our opening chapter, this is this is something that uh, is very gripping. I, mm-hmm. I think we've got uh, weight, resonance, uh, a decent plot, and um, great characterizations all the way around. Nothing was n- there was no missteps here uh, with with how things were presented. So I'm going to give this a solid four out of five. Jerry, I know you like this. A lot. Where do you land? I'm going to go even higher. I'm going to give it a four and a half out of five. I thought that, uh, and and a lot of it is is due to the fact that this is not my kind of story. And even so, I couldn't put it down. And I've read it a couple of times, and I just think it holds up. And I think it's fantastic. Uh, four and a, four and a half is what I would give it. And I would say it's definitely a must read because of the the how good it is. And that the Bat family is just so front and center in this. And it really gives you a lot of good, strong background on the characterizations of all the Bat family. And I would totally give it a, a recommendation. Excellent. That's great to hear. I, I'm glad we we're both in consensus. And this is something that we both strongly would recommend. It's it's good yeah. to hear we have yeah, something like definitely. that. Well, I, I think we'd be remiss and we'd get into a lot of trouble if we didn't mention <laughs> uh, our sponsor uh, or the, <laughs> right. the, the, the fellow who put us out together. So, um, Jerry, if they want to support us, how, how can they go about doing that? Well, the BatmanUniverse.net has a Patreon account. So they have a series of other podcasts, uh, the, the comic podcast, Everyone Loves the Drake, Batgirl to Oracle, which is fantastic. And you can go to the uh, TBU, uh, the BatmanUniverse.net, and there's a Patreon account that you can get access to. And please support the BatmanUniverse.net to keep this all of this great content coming your way. Now, Chris... You're involved with the uh, Batgirl to Oracle uh, podcast. Yes, yes, I am. Thanks for the plug. Uh, <laughs> uh, Batman 66 meets Wonder Woman is a title I'm currently right. redoing on Batgirl to Oracle. I'm having a lot of fun with it. Uh, I don't know where it's going to go in a couple of months. That's because I'm not sure we're going to have any material to cover, but uh, we'll see where that goes. Stella has been very gracious enough to allow me to uh, use that as a forum, so I am going to uh, continue to be there, uh, and we'll see what we'll see what happens beyond that. Uh, I've started a Twitter account. Uh, you can uh-huh. now find me at BTO and Bat Books. That's B T O A N D B A T B O O K S, where I'm on Twitter. And Jerry, you do a few things over on the BatmanUniverse.net, if I'm not mistaken. You can find Jerry's excellent written reviews for titles such as Mother Panic, which is an excellent title, Gotham Love Academy, it. Harley's Love Little it. Black Book, and as well, Jerry also reviews Batman 66, and I think he's digging it right now as well. Uh, we're doing uh, Batman 66 meets Wonder Woman, and what a great, what a great book that is. Now, Jerry, are you so, on Twitter as well? 
I am. Uh, you can find me at uh, at Professor Frenzy. So go over to Twitter, uh, look me up at Professor Frenzy, where I cover my favorite DC books as well as some other indie books. Uh, I do a lot of uh, tweeting on about Dark Shadows, some indie comics, and I also have a tendency to watch bad horror movies on Saturday nights. Uh, and you can uh, go see what I think about them at uh, hashtag Svengooly. Excellent. So that's one of my, I love it. I love it. I we tell had fun you, last night. We have we had a great time last night. Uh, at the time of this recording, we were watching Munster Go Home. So that was uh, that was really nice color print of that too. Obviously. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, it was just uh, you, you think, uh, oh, this is going to be you know not, not not one of the better ones, but no, I I actually enjoyed it. And I think a lot of people who followed online at hashtag Svengooly really all had a good time. It's a good group. Uh, we all kind yeah. of uh, love uh, watching the movie together, and making some uh, jokes and comments, and we we just enjoy it. It's it's a lot of fun. So dive right. In into the pool. Yeah, definitely. Great. So now we're also uh, enjoying a lot of other folks that have other podcasts and various other projects. Uh, why don't you tell tell us a little bit about that, Chris? Sure, I'd be happy to. Now, I want to make sure at the time of this recording, let's see, uh, we're... Episode 157 had just dropped. Please keep that in mind. So this is in regards to things from episode 157. Uh, on Twitter, Ian Prime reminded me, you mm-hmm. forgot to mention that Dustin Gwynn worked on Stephanie Brown's Batgirl series. Covers from the last 10 issues, plus a couple of interiors. Emoji smiley face. Yes, Ian Prime, thank you very much. I knew you would probably catch something in regards to Stephanie Brown. I know you're a huge fan of the character. I can't thank you enough for uh, reaching out to remind me of that. Ian is a huge Stephanie Brown fan, and uh, I'm, I'm very curious to his thoughts on this particular podcast, so I hope he chimes in and writes in again. Uh, also, we heard from uh, Mark from I'm the Gun podcast. This is a great podcast uh, featuring comic material that I've enjoyed over the years, uh, and I really like that. I want to give a shout out to Clinton from the Coffee mm-hmm. and Comics podcast. He had some very nice things to say about our show on his most recent episode, and I was really flattered to hear about it. Now, Clinton does a show called Coffee and Comics podcast. I really love it. I think it's, yeah, it's a must listen and I enjoy the format where you just, you know, envision yourself, uh, in the time that it takes to drink a cup of coffee, he's going to review a comic book for you. And I just That's love awesome. his selections. It's something that I've, I've had stashed in my collection from a long time ago and he's, he's dug it out and he's reread it and I, I, I really envy that guy and I really like the show. He's really, really good. Before I forget, I also want to give a shout out to Chris at Ace Comics on Twitter. He does oh, the Cosmic yeah. Treadmill podcast and the Weird Comics History. Those are enjoyable shows he does with, uh, Reggie Reggie also on Twitter mm-hmm. and the, the the history the the material uh, the the research that the, the, they both do and their unique take on it is mm-hmm. a, is a really really great listen. I also want to give a shout out to Bill at Gotham Night Thirteen. He does mm-hmm. the Too Old Too New podcast, which is something I really like. I, I'm hoping I can listen to a current episode of that soon. Uh, big shout out to Bill because he, he's he's been one of the longtime fans and he got on board just to let us know initially way back when I first got on. He, he really made it a point to seek me out to uh, let convey his thoughts on that. Um, let's see, Jerry, I think you've got somebody on your end that you want to give some shout outs to? Sure, there's a couple of them. We have the Batcave podcast, and they review the uh, TV show, the Batman 66 TV show episodes and more, and that's a lot of fun. 
We also have uh, the beat of the bat, which is uh, it's got a it's a GoFundMe, which is uh, trying to get some funds for a full length documentary about the music of the Batman sixty six series, and that sounds like a fun project. Yeah, you know, and when I think I, I get to give just a plug for that too, because you know, Definitely. I think one of the aspects of the show that's really underrated, we had the great cast and the villains, but mm-hmm. you know, I can't think of a Batman episode where I don't think of the music, the the music with the fight scenes, the music with the intros, yeah. the, the the music with um, uh, costume changes, the Batmobile rolling out, the Batmobile music, everything, everything had a little score to it, and I think that mm-hmm. that, that I'm, I'm really glad that it's getting acknowledged and recognized. Yeah, I agree. Now, we, uh, speaking of music, we have another podcast called Soundtrack Alley, where Randall Andrews, he discusses some of his favorite soundtracks on geeky movies. And this one is a fun one. And if you are a fan of that kind of offbeat, uh, film, check out Soundtrack Alley, where Randall will kind of, kind of bring you through the music that's involved in that. And that's a lot of fun. Uh, we have another one called The Long Box Crusade, which is another uh, podcast we've been listening to and I've been uh, enjoying myself. Now, we couldn't have one of these, uh, you know, thank you kind of episodes without mentioning the Sutherlands. Yes, Darren and Ruth Sutherland, who always have been a big uh backer of ours and we can't thank them enough for their uh shout outs and retweets and and reminders to the folks out there on twitter who yeah. who have been a great great uh, uh backers and followers of our show and those mm-hmm. podcasts that they host are uh, world worlds which mm-hmm. uh, cover the material with uh looking at mike rell with his work on warlord and superboy and they're kind of mm-hmm. going on a chronological approach to looking at his material i'm going to be guesting mm-hmm. on a forthcoming episode and i can't wait till when uh I do that and that drops. I'm very honored to be a part of it. Yeah, uh, Trucker Talk, yeah, which looks at uh, Ron Randall and uh, the character uh, Trucker with a uh, title with uh, Mercy St. Clair. Excellent, mm-hmm. strong female lead. And uh, Xenozoic Xenophiles, uh, which uh, they've had a recent interview with Mark Schultz, and he yes. does the Cadillac and Dinosaurs work and uh, Xenozoic Xeotels, which uh, just, just outstanding. And I, I, I really. I'm in such awe of somebody who takes the time to acknowledge and, and um, reach out to the creators of mm-hmm. such fantastic storytelling and masterful artists who, who, who give us some great, great, great comic book material. So yeah. uh, check those out, please. Definitely. Uh, and I, just their podcasts are just so fun and they're, they're such a, such a great, um, such great energy, not only on the podcast, but also online. You can catch them. They have, uh, Twitter accounts and what have you. And it's just, uh, such a great part of the podcasting community. So we just wanted to thank the Sutherlands. Yeah. So Jerry, this has been our, what, 10th episode? This is episode number 10, Chris. Congratulations. Wow, congratulations. High five virtual to you. I, Thank I, you. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It doesn't seem like 10 already. I know, I know. Now, in honor of our 10th episode, we are going to have a giveaway. Thanks to say thank you to some folks that have been uh, following us for for uh, for 10 episodes. So we want to appreciate them and uh, say a little thank you. So now the good folks at Carmine Street Comics, which is one of my uh, local comic book stores, they've helped us find a copy of one of my personal favorites, Gates of Gotham, which is uh, mm-hmm. Scott Snyder, Kyle Higgins, Trevor McCarthy, and Ryan Parrot. Parrot? Parrot? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So it's one of my personal favorite uh, uh, trades, and we're gonna wanna we're gonna give it away to some lucky listener. So if you want to enter, just leave us a review on iTunes. It doesn't have to even be a good review. You can even give us a bad review, <laughs> but. Please give us a review on iTunes and we'll select one at random to receive the book. So now no TBU associates or family members can win, but uh, we're looking forward to uh, being able to give this away to uh, one of our one of our listeners. Thank you. That sounds great. I'm really glad to, and a shout out to Carmine Street Comics for helping us out with that. Definitely. I really appreciate it. They are great guys over at Carmine Street. I had a, uh, I was trying to turn somebody on to Mother Panic and I wanted to get a couple of back issues and they turned their store upside down looking wow. for back issues for me and they found them. So great people. And, uh, again, another great part of the comic book community. So, uh, we want to say thank you to them. So that's all for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please leave us comments so so we know what you liked and how we can do things better. And join us next time where we will be covering War Games Act 2. Keep the story going. We hope you join us then. So I'm Jerry. And I'm Chris. And we're saying goodbye for now. And thank you for tuning in to Bat Books for Beginners.